0: Lord have mercy, ladies and gentlemen. Season 3 of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Stephen Cock Esquire, is at hand. We got a bunch of great guests lined up once again. We'll be talking some guitar. I'm sure we'll talk about food. I'm sure we'll talk about hilarity. That's just what's going to happen. So thanks for tuning in. Let's get into it brought to you by our good friends at Wildwood Guitars in beautiful Louisville, Colorado, and Fishman Transducers of beautiful Andover, Massachusetts. This week on Chewing the Gristle, we have a good buddy of mine, a fantastic musician, hailing currently from Chicago, Illinois, blues and jazz and very soulful cat, the mighty Guy King. Plays that 335 with his thumb like it's going out of style. This week on Chewing the Gristle, Guy King. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to yet another installment of Chewing the Gristle with yours truly, Gregory Cockery. I'm here with my buddy, the great guy King, hailing from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. And I spent the morning listening to your lovely new record, Joy is Coming. And Joy was indeed at hand, my friend. It sounds fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me. A pleasure. It was good to see you down in Florida last week. We were down there causing some trouble with the True Fire folk. It was really fun. A surprise and a wonderful surprise. I was so happy, you know. It was fun to hang out with you, and it was fun to eat food in a delicious, semi-tropical environment.
1: (laughs) It was great. It was really great, Greg. I enjoyed telling stories and hearing stories from you and eat The food was delicious.
0: You all right? It was indeed. It's kind of funny because today, you know, we got back, and it was so unusually warm, This fall and like boom, it's cold now. Like in a in a day, it's cold. We need to meet there again, man. In the heat,
1: right? (laughs) (laughs) Everything is nicer when it's a little warm. That's
0: a fact. That I know, man. Yet you are in Wisconsin, and I'm I'm in Chicago. That's it. You're right down down the road. I used to go to uh, Evanston all the time and do sessions uh, back in the day. Uh, right around the corner from where you live, it sounds like. There was a guy who had a studio in his house, and we used to do a bunch of jingles there and all kinds of stuff. So I'd I'd make that trip down. It would take me about an hour and 15 minutes, depending on when I left. And I would always go to that that Herm's place, the hot dog joint. Yeah. That's a good <laughs> That's point. funny. Really, man? Yeah.
1: Uh-uh. You believe that I haven't eaten there? There's a little bit newer place that I ate. It. I should stop at that one. It's like really close.
0: Yeah, that's the one where they they kind of ch- they cut the big dogs in two and they char it on the grill. That's kind of Herms thing. And he, and he and the guy that waits on you is like a he's like a human abacus. <laughs> you just kind of say what you're all going to get, and he just goes, mm, "That'll be twenty five dollars. That'll be fourteen sixty-seven. You know, too big. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, the first time we met was in Evanston. You came out when I did that gig with yes. Uh, with uh Dave Specter and uh with Josh Smith with Josh and with was, uh, with Nick Ma- Nick Moss Nick and Josh Moss. Smith that, for Dave right. Specter right That's right. right that's right right it was Nick Moss who put that together that's right and Yeah. And, Dave, and then Dave came and sat in Saturday as well and you did and it was awesome that was man it was great got. hearing you that was that was good times it was fun to make the acquaintance then and then I saw you out in California when yes. we were playing at the mint that's right
1: right i i probably I what was I doing? I think I was writing
0: songs, maybe for the record or something. Yeah, could be. Yes, could indeed. be. Well, the record is fantastic. I love it. I mean, it's,
1: thank uh, you so much. I wanted I, I, you to have it, regardless of this. I really wanted you. I'm like, how come I haven't sent you the vinyl? I need to send it to you. So
0: it it sounds great. I love the. Uh, I mean, the tunes are great. I love the uh, the production. Some strings in there, some horns, but uh, you know. As a guitar, and your voice sounds wonderful, and the tunes are great. thank you but you know what's, what's I mean we kind of touched upon this a little bit when we were down in, in, um, in Florida. you know the the blue genre and guitar playing. Um, you know, it's 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 been done so many times, and it, it's and and nowadays, what is construed as blues is you know is multifaceted. What some people think is blues is what other people think is rock, and and I'm open to whatever. I like to include it all. But one of the things I really like about that uh, attracted me to blues guitar to begin with is just all the nuances of just the hands on the strings of vibrato and, and just all the things that really make that human connection. And you're in the fact you're playing with your thumb, you know, it's such a cool thing because there's, there's like a, um, you know, the tone is, is almost more arch toppy I know you're playing a three thirty five, but it sounds more arch toppy and, and you got that West thing going on, but, but yet with a little bit more of a bluesy edge to it. And then when you like go to the, the bridge pickup and do the thing. It's got more of an Albert Collins vibe, but I just love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All these, all, all the people you mentioned are, as you can tell,
1: are big influences on me, you know, between Albert King, Wes Montgomery, Albert Collins, B.B. King. So as far as the guitar player side right. of, of things, you know, but uh, so I can't, the 335 kind of gives me a way to move in and, and make them all, a part of, I think, of Guy king. instead of trying to be this guy or this guy. So right. I was doing it on the, on the Telecaster for my whole adult life, pretty much. Right. But then a couple of years ago, we talked about it. I found the 335, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel like I had to force. a Telecaster does everything. You know that better than anyone because you do everything on it. But I felt like for what I wanted to do, I had to kind of twist it and force it and work almost unnaturally in certain ways. While the 335, I picked it up and I, it was more effortless. Not the, right. not the physicality, the, the getting what's in my mind. You know, we all have the sound we're trying to accomplish. So the 335 was like, wait a minute, that's almost that. I only have to do these things and it's just coming out. So yeah, I, you know, it's, it's nice to get some of the more mellow things out of it. And some of the more biting things out of it. I didn't, Probably I didn't play 335 before because uh, I really haven't played Gibson's until I made the switch. And also something in my mind was a little twisted and I never thought I could be tougher with the 335. You know, I was like, it's a more, I love B.B. King, but it's a more, I won't be able to get that, that, that bite that Albert King had or Albert Collins. And then one day I realized that, I think we talked about it also in Florida. Wait a minute. Eric Clapton recorded Sunshine Of My Love, over Your Love, with, like, R- 335. What am I talking about? R- 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 it could it be as tough as amp any amp. guitar. Yeah. So I tried it, you know, and other people told me to try it, and I finally gave in and tried it. And I was like, wait a minute. This is it. It could yes. be it,
0: you know? Yes. So... Well, it's funny too, because as we've we've talked before, is like the the blonde three thirty five you have is the same year as the one that I had that got stolen, unfortunately. But there was there was something about those those early eighties, you know, reissued dot necks, and we narrowed it down to the fact that it's got those Tim Shaw pickups in it. I think so. And they just have a different sound. And as a matter of fact, when, when we had talked and you were looking for a replacement pickup, I was like, you know, I know Tim Shaw. I'll talk to him and see what he thinks, you know. And so I um, I saw him at a NAMM show. I'm like, look, you know, I got this buddy of mine, Guy King. We were talking about, you know, your pickups and those old 335s. And I said, is there anything that you make now that's or that's available now that's similar to what those pickups were? And he said, "Yeah, that Fender had just come out with that new Shaw Bucker," and he said, "That's basically the same pickup." Wow, I remember you saying it. Yeah, I remember and, you, you texted me. Yeah, and it's basically the, the the same pickup, which is interesting. I mean, th- those guitars were great. And as a matter of fact, I have another one of those guitars here now. A buddy of mine that I went to college with. Um, got one of those guitars. It's got a busted headset. It's been repaired, but that's not a big deal. But it, it's I basic- saw the
1: post, and I have to tell you, you sound great when you pick it up.
0: It feels oh, natural
1: right. in your hand. So I'm like, he's going to end up getting this one because it's too good to pass. It fits you. You know what it's, I'm
0: saying? It, it's still here. <laughs> 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 but, you know, the only problem is, is that the bridge pickup is a little microphonic, so I might have to— Re, you have, have to, to do you know. Do I something. had that with my old Telecaster, and when they re
1: recoiled it, it actually worked. One time they kind of they dipped it in wax, I think, and it was fine. Next time they had to recoil it, I have to tell you, it was as good as new. So maybe I was lucky in that aspect. But uh, so that that natural one from the album is yes. the one with the original pickups that I like so much, and then I picked up this one, the the number two, the backup. Yes which is from the same year. It's an 83 as well. Yeah, yeah. And one of those from the factory was not a Shaw. From the factory, it was just Gibson decided to put one Shaw and one not. And ah, like, interesting. Wow. Yes, I had kind of discovered it, but then see how everything ends. I stumbled on the Craigslist ad in Florida by Orlando of a guy that had the same year Tim Shaw laying around since 1982-83 and he sold me those pickups. So awesome. it's be- and I was like, "Oh my god. He was nice. He ended up giving me tuners and, br- and a bridge and all the pieces from the old 335 So Oh, nice. Yeah. You got to love that. I was I was fortunate. But with the record, man, I'm so glad you like it and uh yeah, the songs meant a lot to me, right? You know, writing more about stuff that was personal. Out of my yeah. I yeah, kind of yeah. went a little personal there and I I think it's at the beginning of the rest of my career, I hope making things mean more to me and relate that to the audience. I,
0: I loved it, and I like the fact that it's you know the, there's some cool you know uh, the, the progressions are not standard blues. You definitely. You know, you have some jazzy changes in there, which I really dig. So what what is your background in terms of 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 learning the jazz harmonies? Because it's obvious that you know how to negotiate those chord changes, which is not something that every, you know, quote unquote blues guy does. You know what I mean? Yeah, Uh,
1: I. um, I got into it's funny. I started as a young, 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 like three years old, four years old, I was singing like that was kind of more natural. And then first instrument was actually the clarinet. My father really liked it. All my bro- older brothers and sisters, they all played. I'm the baby boy. So we had one at the house. I played clarinet in an orchestra. So I was exposed to classical music and jazz, but orchestral jazz, you know, uh-huh. uh, different, not the, the cool, good jazz. Now I realize it, oh, it's good, but um, but on the horn, on a clarinet. And I was really little. I played in the big band in an orchestra. Then I picked up the guitar mostly for pop, you know, for strumming and singing along with it. You know, campfire, fun stuff, not professional, quote unquote. And discovered Clapton really quick. So I think that I like pop music. We talked about it a little bit in Florida, like Clapton, Queen, Dire Straits, Marvin Gaye. I remember records by the Thriller, Michael Jackson, Let's Dance, Bowie. Right. Uh, Elvis stuff around the house. Also Ray Charles and Louis Armstrong around the house, but not playing it. So through like pop and, and rock, I started playing guitar and through Clapton got deeper into, you know, read some liner notes, realized that it was BB B. King and Albert King and Freddie King and Robert Johnson. And that right. turned me on into them from the Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I left this aside and really dove deep into the blues. Uh, Mind that all this is still in Israel because that's why I was born and raised. So, you know, then I came here when I was 16 on tour, singing mostly, playing only acoustic at the acoustic shows, mostly singing, doing like a, almost like a pop routine with dancing and singing. Funny, but, uh, but it all kind of tied into really my love for music. So for your question, the music was always what drew me in, you know, you know, Everything, uh, Beatles, bossa nova music was popular in Israel. Phil Collins songs, what Elton John music in general. You know, right. then in my early teen, middle, middle teens, the blues started. Like, wait a minute, music is good, but what's that guitar doing? and Why is it so emotional and so different? Some, you know. So I dove into the blues. I came to Chicago again when I was 21 after an army service and finishing high school in Israel. Came with a guitar in a suitcase. Started in Memphis, New Orleans, came north here to Chicago, got a gig or two. Everything kind of happened. Willie Kent brought me to his band, Willie Kent and the Gents. Mm-hmm. Uh, started touring, got deeper and deeper into things, you know, Albert Collins, Gate Mouth Brown, T-Bone Walker, Black and Hopkins, everything, soaked everything. And then realized that something was missing, you know. I was in the cold winters here and all of a sudden stumbled into... Other Ray Charles recordings, not just the hits, you know, and it kind of became my best friend, you know. But I also realized, Greg, between us, that I'm like, I'm gonna play with that song because it was so cold outside. It was like 55,000 degrees below zero. I'm like, <laughs> I'm shaking, you know. <laughs> <Welcome>
0: <laughs> so I'm
1: inside, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm with the guitar, and I'm like, I want to play that song, and I couldn't. I'm being honest with you. I like. It didn't, come. I'm like, what is that change? You know, because I dove into the blues, quote unquote, so deep, the most standard blues, that I almost forgot all the musical stuff that before, you know, pop, rock, it has those, the Bonsanova different chords. And I, I stumbled and I said, wait a minute, you know, to myself, I'm kind of a hard critic on my own self. And I sat with it and I realized, wait a minute, why is the chords moving this? Why is he playing the line and why can't I get it? You know, quick, right, 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 and I set that cold winter, and got it to the point where I was like, "Hey, this sounds really good." Doesn't make sense for you not to be able to play it. Forget that people were saying to me that I was good at the nightclub, performing every night, and being kind of really young in an older band that was touring. I I kind of started getting attention, so you kind to start feeling good about yourself. But in the bedroom by myself, I'm like, "Wait a minute!" Playing Bray chance record in the kitchen. Actually, I'm like, "I'm not as bad." as I thought I was because <laughs> I can't get it to sound as good as he does, you know? Right, right. And yeah. I kind of, I took it to heart. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take myself to school. And the things that really moved me, I tried to get. I didn't try to uh, transcribe a solo by Fathead or a line, but I said, this moved me, something happening. So I got it, kind of made sense to to me what they were doing. And really, Greg, uh, Rachel started that. Then I started and hungrier, you know, so somebody uh, an organ player from here, you probably know him, there was the Deep Blue Organ Trio here with uh, Bobby Broom, the guitarist Greg Rockingham on drums and Chris Foreman, the organist and Chris and I kind of got together and was like, man, you 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 go eyes are open, you don't just play blues out here why don't you play this track? And he told me to listen to Teach Me The Night by Dinah Washington and that was kind of like wait a minute, I do dig that and some a major seven chords as per our conversation in yeah. Florida. Some, <laughs> some all of a sudden stuff that, you know, a 2-5 that I started being acquainted with and like what to do over it, but in a minor way. And I kind of, again, found myself, wait a minute, I could do the blues thing great on it and it fits, but I hear other notes in my head and I still wasn't able to get them. So the cold winter of Chicago is a time that you, uh, you can sit by yourself and be lonely and cruel. And I decided to take that time and kind of make that music my best friend. And to get a little personal with you, my father and mother both were diagnosed with cancer back then. And I went to Israel to take care of them. And they ended up both passing away. So oh, I'm sorry, I kind man. of was thinking. So it was years ago, but it still hurts. You know, it's 20 years ago now. But it's. Uh, I took that time and almost music became my best friend. and kind of my outlet to... To stay to stay good instead of feeling so upset with life, I took it and kind of, a, I'm just going to play. So these songs meant so much to me, you know, the music right. that I was listening to at that time. And I was able to make this a part of me, you know, and I think it has to do a lot with the way I uh, I play it. But between you and I, this is, was my introduction and I got hungrier. And for a second, I was going to quit playing guitar and just play piano because I loved Ray Charles and Errol Garner and Jimmy McGriff so much. The right. Like, I'm just going to play piano. I got me an old Fender Rhodes and heard Wes Montgomery and <laughs> said, wait a minute. Really like, wait a minute. I was already playing with the thumb. I was I did mostly because of Albert King. People ask me that. It was mostly because of him, even though I did end up anchoring my right hand more like Wes Montgomery. But I wasn't aware that he was doing it then. You know. Got it. And then I kind of got exposed to him, Sonny Rollins, Lee Morgan, uh, Park, Charlie Parker, Errol Garner, the pianist. And Greg, I kind of was like, it kind of hit me hard. It like, excuse me, whooped my behind, like, wait a minute, you're not as tough as you thought you are if you can't get it. And it moved me like it sure. felt the music felt good to me like the blues did. So I tried to teach myself that, at least to my. I felt like there's a vocabulary that was missing for me to express what I wanted to express, you know? And, uh, so that was it, you know, long answer, but this is really how it went down.
0: Well, that's, that's, uh, well, it's interesting because I, I find that, um, a lot of, well, just in my experience, there's a lot of people who are, um, you know, I don't want to say traditional blues uh, enthusiasts or players or whatnot, but it's almost like their badge of courage that they don't know how to play over those those chords. And I always thought that was, what's the point of that? You know, you want to know how to do everything, I think, you know, to your point. It's like when you all of a sudden you find out, well, yeah, I can do this other stuff, but I can't do that, and that bugs the shit out of me. Because no matter what the, a civilian would say, saying, yeah, you're great. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't do this thing over here and that annoys me. And and plus the music moves me and I want to know what was going on. I remember I got this uh Maceo Parker record, that first record he came out with as a solo artist. You know, remember that record? it was the with the red cover and it had like uh the chicken on it. And uh, anyway, so there was there was like a blues half Mo- Mo- on Mo yeah, Moe okay. Roots. Mo-, Mo Roots, right? Yeah. yeah. And I got that record, and I was listening to it, and and it just reminded me. It's like I I would hear people do uh, like a, uh, you know, like a tune like uh, Billy's Bounce or something like that. It had that you know, yeah. you know, uh, the three six two five turnaround. Yeah. Every time that three six would happen, I would hear is that harmonic minor? Is that melodic minor? I could, it, and it always went by so fast. Like, what the hell is that? And it would bug the hell out of me. And then I'd be like, well, I could kind of play the harmonic minor of the two <laughs> over the th- you know what i mean and then finally just all when it clicks it's like it's the greatest feeling in the world isn't it when you when you figure Definitely. out that little that little harmonic twist that just is you know something that you know jazz folk know you know what i mean yeah. and you, you're like oh that's what happens when that happens and it's just yes it's fantastic yeah. I kind of dove, maybe I dove a little too hard. Like I got
1: an archtop then, an old Yamaha L5 type and nice. started an organ trio because I wanted to. And I started tackling standards. So, you know, just singing them as a vocalist and playing guitar on them. And then started growing, you know, go out, catch Deep Blue playing, catch Henry Johnson. Henry Johnson was playing in town then. I was new here, you know, and all of a sudden seeing people play live and the stuff that moved me, I tried to to get it, you know, to, because it kind of bothered me. And also I was not very schooled in music as far as modes and scales, but I realized that I was lacking certain techniques. So I started playing more and get my fingers up to snuff and kind of like feeling confident with the stuff that within me, I knew that I wasn't as strong at, but I really loved, you right, know, right, so I right. didn't, I wasn't lazy. I was like, I'm getting it, you know? I'm getting it because it sounds great. Tunes like Georgia on my mind. Mm-hmm. You can play it, you can sing it, but can all of a sudden I hear Oscar Peterson in Night Train playing it. And right. he's, and he plays that intro, and the second chord, I'm like, what is this even? So right. my, between us, okay, but, I, so the, the the bluesier side of me, I'm like, well, I'll take the Ray Charles one. Cool. Right. But it sounds fabulous. So one time I'm getting it, I'm like, oh, this is great. And going forward, Greg, maybe not to this record, I think some of my influences really are coming out. All of a sudden, you hear some changes. That was from then, even when I started realizing that stuff opened up just a little bit. You know, I don't have to open it all the time, like like a like a sta- like a standard jazz tune, like in the real book. It doesn't have to be like that. I can use it now that I know what it is, and I taught myself and listened to a lot of the grace that came before us and kind of know the language, I should make my own music for me. You know, if I like soul and rhythm and blues, then keep playing soul and rhythm and blues. I don't have to become a jazz artist, quote unquote, to play. And on the other hand, if I want to tag and play a a beautiful ballad with brushes, this is what I'm going to do because it feels correct. So I think music is music before the critics, the managers and the people that no, I mean, record label owners don't mean no disrespect. They can't play the music most of the time. Right. So they try to market it certain ways for their own advantage, which is all cool. But if you tell that to Ray Charles, he would laugh at you and probably throw it out the room. Right, right. Because and if you told it to Robert Johnson between us that he's playing so advanced to 1936, 37, he would laugh at you because he was playing minor seven chords, diminished chords. He's walking bass lines. Right? Why are you going to tell him what to play? And we all look up to him. It's like he's the blues. I do too. You know, I play that style too. But he tried to play the stuff that moved him. Which exactly this is what I'm trying to do. I don't. You know, I mean, music is a beautiful thing when you let go and just embrace what moves you. You're right. So, you know, absolutely. That's what I tried. You know, and then you hear a, a tougher a rock stuff. That's where I came from. People don't realize. Maybe not heavy rock, but. Some of this, you know, seventies, sixties, fifties, eighties, rock. That's it's as deep in my playing, in my roots, as all of the blues that we talked about, and and the jazzier stuff too. So, I don't know, you know, it's just it's weird. Like you're right. It's almost like I need to apologize for it, and I should not.
0: This is this music, you know, exactly. Should celebrate it. Exactly correct. And, you know, it, and that's a thing that you know I've, I talk about a lot on these uh, these chats with folks is just the the idea of you know chasing what we perceive to be success versus just being true to ourselves and sticking to our guns and trusting that. I mean, you got to be cognizant of of well, I'm gonna you know, when I'm playing out tonight, people really res- responded to this song, this song, and this song. And so you can make mental notes of that stuff of just like, okay, well, I, I know what works. I know what I want to play. And, and you know, so you're, you're cognizant of what people want. But if you solely exist to try to chase after the success of what you think people expect, it just never pans out. (laughs) I mean, it does for some people who are, I mean, I mean, it does what you're describing and how I describe my question music. It's chasing after what we, are trying to do as artists in terms of what we think our voice is and what moves us emotionally. It's not like, okay, I'm doing this simply because I think it's gonna make me successful. You know what I mean? I thought about it for a second, even after talking to some
1: people after this record, then I kind of had to reset myself because you kind of feel down a little bit. You know, you talk to a manager, we talk to uh, so, and they tell you these pointers or a record label. Well, this, and then you listen and you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) You kind of reset yourself. Let's say I'm you. I'm like, I'm Greg cock. I've been around the block. I know what's going on. Like, uh, I dig this and this and this, it was great. You can't doubt yourself like this. You know what I'm saying? Right. You can't look, Let's say in this record, I'm playing stuff that uh, I feel could relate to more, more of the general public, you know? Right. Yet, to me, I'm satisfying myself a lot more because I wrote the songs. I'm talking about my life. Right. I was able to put in the changes that you, you that knows were like, wait a minute, what was... So I'm able to satisfy me and get all the, the stuff that itches out while right. still keeping the groove, because I love the simplicity of a good groove and a, and just a rhythm section, laying it down. Right. Having said that, I like them to lay it down while there's a progression going on. Right. I don't exactly. think it takes away from the, you know, it doesn't take away from the simplicity. I don't know. It's like no, the music speaks for itself. It, it could coexist and it could be a popular tune. I mean, somebody can hum it and it's popular. I, you right. know, it's a shuffle. So was Isn't She Lovely. It's a shuffle. You know what I'm saying, right? So there's, uh, I don't know, man. You know, the more you learn, the more you advance. It's like, okay, we learn words, we learn letters. Then you put it, you you put a sentence together. It's okay to use another word that you learn if it describes your mood. It's exactly the same. I I agree completely. Exactly. So, yeah, I hear you playing. I, I could tell that you, you know, you put the stuff that moves you or that you want. Having said that. I think you are you more adventurous than I am in the way that, like, you hear something, you get, there are some stuff I'm kind of staying away from, I feel, you know, being honest about because I'm like, I don't think I could get it to be as good as the, you know, and you, I feel you are tackling it like, I'm mastering this, I'm getting it, which I'm like, I don't know if I can get this, but I know I'm getting this, you know, so, <laughs> but, but we all, we, we all move by something different, we all exactly. work different. So that's what makes it kind of special. Other than the touch, the individual touch is what separates us. But also the, the mind and the heart. What moves you, to
0: go after that? I may go to the other end and like actually, I'm going there. I'm yeah, going which back. is which yeah. is the way it should be. You know, everyone exactly, exactly correct. Well, you know, the, the other thing about you know the way that you approach you know from the guitar point of view is is that. Uh, you don't play with a ton of gain. So therefore the dynamic approach of how much you're using your thumb really comes across and really, and I've always felt that way too. It's like, I've never used like a, a ton of gain. I like a little bit of bite, but I like it. So if I play soft, it sounds clean, but if you lay into it, then you, then it, then it has that bite. And, uh, so are you real particular about what amps you use or you you just have kind of like, I said, I, I can use a twin or I could use a deluxe or I could use a AC30 or uh, what's your kind of approach on all that stuff? I actually, uh, I think I was playing cleaner
1: with the Telecaster even, and then I was using Fender quad reverbs too. Oh yeah. Exclusively. The old, uh, old Freddie King. I own two. Albert Collins. Yeah. Yep. I have two of those and, and, and. For a while, I always had one on deck. I was cranked. Another thing is people don't. I need to be more cranked with five as my amp. So I would keep my quad
0: at a show, let's say at a small bar, on seven or eight. Some be like so what? Because those have the volume and the and and the master. So yes. How would you, yes? Do you do you do the thing where you crank the master all the way up and then bring it up to seven? Yes, I did not even try
1: the master. As soon as I got to the gig, even if I was tired, it was like. Just put it. You don't even check the number. You crank it all the way up so it's out of the equation, you know. But I have to play louder because uh, because of my thumb. Right, because you play the pick. Right, the pick has a lot of attack. People don't realize it. it's a lot of volume that you get with the pick. No doubt. So to get that, I have to keep my amp louder. Then uh, I found a nineteen sixty eight Fender Pro Reverb, uh, which I really liked. But I was like, no, I'm stuck on the quad. But then when I made the switch to 335 a few years ago, a little bit after my our first born daughter was born, uh, I heard a different sound. The Telecaster was not... It wasn't what I heard in my mind. I felt like I was struggling with it, you know? Having said that, I think that the Telecaster is one of the best inventions ever, if not the best one. But, you know, I heard a different sound. God, so I, I chased the 335 and something told me to try. The, it wasn't as great with the quality as, as the Telecaster was to me. So I plugged through that. Pro Reverb, the 1968 one, the Drip Edge one, and it was I'm like, whoa, this is it. <laughs> Great. I'm gonna so on that recording it's, by the way it's all, I know one song to me sound like I was playing an archtop, but it was the 335 for the whole record. The same one, the natural one. And it's that amp. It's the 1968 uh, Pro. So people tell you, don't ever tilt back. I tilted it back and just jacked it. Yeah. So, people, it just works, you know. I tilted it back on the legs. I think I should, I think it was like four and a half or five, which it's already overdriven. You could right. tell I was more overdriven in the past. It was a conscious decision when I was searching for that different sound, Greg. It was also being able to get to some of that drive that I, but naturally. So, with the humbuckers and uh, tube amp crank to over four or five you get that drive absolutely and yes if you, i dial it back then you know then it gets cleaner so right. i did that and after the record uh, the pandemic started and uh after we mixed it and stuff so i was here and i found this old 60s silvertone two ah. watt two watt amp i pick it up i could show, like i pick it up with a pinky you know, it's like, and it sounded great. All of a sudden, it's like, sounds like Layla. And I'm like, what? So I started, I made this studio around the house. You can see it. It's got all analog tape yeah, yeah, machines yeah. and stuff. So I'm like, that would be great for recording. So two few years ago, I was at NAM for the first time. And I talked to Eli from Two Rock Amplification. I pick up the phone. I tell him, Eli, I don't know. I'm thinking a small app. He said, let me make some and tell me if you like it. And he sent me this, uh, uh, two Rock Studio Signature. Uh, and I have to tell you something. I was very shocked when I plugged in. And I'm like, at first I was, well, it's a little different. Then I'm like, no, it's not. It's just a little more open. So I love it. And this is since then, uh, since the record. I love the old Fender. And to your question too, yes, backline. I used to use Twins open it almost all the way tilted or get it away from the sound guy so I can open it right. more, and gave my sound or super reverb or recent tours. They actually gave me a Vibralox, the brown one, not a, a reissue one, you know? Right. Was, uh, no, the Vibralox was original, uh, late sixties or Vibra verb, Vibra Brown yeah, yeah, two, yeah. 210. Yeah. I thought it was 210 sounded great to yeah, me, but, killer. uh, I was, I'm like, Hey, 210 could be the answer as opposed to my two twelve, but, Eli, maybe this one and with a with a one twelve actually. Okay. And I was like, "Let me try it. It's just a big one twelve cabinet. It looks like a two twelve could fit in, and it moves enough air." So right now, after playing the old Fender, my amp of choice would be that uh, Two Rock Studio Signature. Cool. And what's head
0: in a cabinet? What's the wattage on that beast? It's thirty five.
1: Which I told him. I I thought, but the thing is, I thought maybe I need like a ninety, like a hundred watt. So he told me. You said you want for recording, let me make you this one and then if you need a big one we can send you the classic uh classic reverb that we made. But Greg, I'm playing some shows with a big band like with 15 horns, 13 horns and a rhythm section. Okay. I had this amp on 3 while the gain is on 7 and it was way above the horn section. Oh, okay. So yeah yeah
0: yeah. So it was That 35
1: a- watts. Yeah, it's like a like the healthiest Vibrolux VibroVerb pro reverb that you ever heard. That's how I feel. So I don't know if I really, unless it's a huge a
0: stage, it's like, it's great, you know? Yeah, I've got a, I've got a little 12 watt amp here and I bring that to gigs if I'm just like sitting in and it's loud as shit. That's the thing. The wattage <laughs> doesn't really work as far as, oh, it's 50 watts. It's not loud enough. This right. 30 watts. Wait, it's louder. Yeah, this it is de- a hundred. It depends on the amp. You know, it depends yeah. how efficient the amp is. And- exactly. So I, I realize this now, but to your question, all the fenders always did it to me. Uh, uh,
1: a couple years ago, I said it, they brought me a Vox AC 30, which I never played through, excuse my ignorance. And I, with a 335, I thought it was stunning. Yeah. So it's, like, they could, that's a whole other thing, right? Yeah. It's, yeah it was, it was scooped. Like almost I dialed it in without even dialing it in. Right. You know, it worked great for me too. So I don't know, you know, I think a great tube amp with a good guitar, you can get a great tone. Exactly. Pretty much. You don't, you know. Right. If the amp is good and you have a good guitar that you can get around and stays in tune, you can make it work and express yourself.
0: I feel absolutely, absolutely. We interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado. Bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains. So what do you got coming up now? You mentioned this thing with the, the big band and are you, you know, obviously COVID is doing its thing and we're trying to figure out, you know, what gigs can be played and what can't and all that other kind of stuff. So what's kind of on your, uh, your docket for the, the foreseeable future here? So still, uh, you know, I didn't play the record out
1: live much because of what happened, you know, so I feel a little uh, like, wait a minute, I want to express this live because I thought the songs were great on record, but it'll be nicer to to work it out with the fans live. So right. uh, a few shows coming up, uh, kind of a rare appearance. I don't play in the city anymore, in Chicago anymore as much as I did. And I'm going to do a weekend here at, uh, at Andy's Jazz Club with the rhythm section. Uh, so we're gonna do one weekend and kind of play the record. You know, I feel as a, as a four piece though, not with the horns and the whole thing this time. And um, I'm hoping to tour more and take that record out on the road. I would love to, to I really would like to play that as a show, just the record with some some older songs that I wrote to to make that work. Uh, I released, they released a forty five with a blue shift big band. Uh, featuring me in an old B.B. King song uh, Waiting on You. So that came out during the pandemic and we did a few shows. I think they're working on a couple more and maybe even a recording. We're trying to see, but there's a big band, like a 17-piece big band that I'll be fronting, singing, and playing leads on top and uh, trying to write more, really. You know, that that record, Joy's Coming, just started something in me that's more about the song. You know, like I would like to make a, keep, you know, I thought I was onto something that really satisfied me in a way of not just me as far as like learning a line and executing as far as I would like to give this to the people who listen to me and like me because this is really me. You know, it's not like I feel like this is me in every aspect, not just the playing, not just I wrote the song, the changes, the, the, the way it makes you feel. So I see myself writing more and recording more, you know, bringing the the band, my configuration, the same, you know, the bass, drum, keyboards, and my cell phone guitar and creating uh, another mood. Because it's funny, you know, I made that album and I felt like, wow, this is it. It's my, and all of a sudden it passed. And I'm like, wait a minute, I feel a little something different now. All of a sudden. Right, absolutely. Yep, <laughs> like another feeling comes in or a change, like a harmonic change or a melody in my mind that I want to share. So I think that I would like to keep writing expressing myself more and recording it to the best way of like i think mostly on tape now something with me i think we talked about in florida too i got a little fatigued watching the sound waves and every time you see a new clip going on and you see sound waves on the screen and all of a sudden seeing the tape move here and not seeing a screen just a view meter to see if it's like right on the red and just closing your eyes and listening again with two speakers, it's kind of made, uh, it brought back a lot of sheer joy in music with me. You know, right. like, wait a minute, it just sounds great. Don't stop analyzing it. Because I I would overthink a lot of things, you know. If it was clean enough, maybe it could be better. Want to make it sound like this? I'm like, let's make it sound great while we track. Let's get together the four piece, just the band, the drums, and hear the pop of the drums, even if it's a ballad, and hear the boom the bass line and hear a great chord on the on the keyboards and then the guitar and the voice and let, if it sounds great let's just bring it straight from the heart to the heart of the listener and hopefully it makes the same uh impression as music did on me or you growing up that's that's what i would like to do taking it to the people live but still performing it live to the people would be a uh, A great joy. Yes, indeed. So I don't do it much now because, you know, like you said, COVID changed things and I'm kind of in uncertainties in a certain way. But uh, I think, you know, I I hope that uh, it seems like some stuff is opening up. So hopefully we can make more
0: shows. You know, it's interesting when you said you're not playing around town as as much. I I don't really play around my town as much either because, you know, you you play less so that you can – When you do play, you can charge a decent amount and people will actually come out and it's more of a, because if you're just playing around town, the people take you for granted and, you know, and all that other kind of stuff. But at the same token, wouldn't it be nice to be able to make a living just playing in your own area? Wouldn't that be great? I'm going to tell you something. You are so much more obvious. I was trying to be nice about it and that,
1: but you said what it was. Uh, This is exactly what it is. This is the reason I decided to play. I used to play here so much, Greg, and I made a living, actually. I worked 25 days a month in the Chicago area. Before That's a lot. 2000, 20, between 25 to 40 days a month because <laughs> I would do lunch sets, organ trio, afternoon gig. It would be great, but I have to say something. I wore myself up and I feel like I was just playing the standard. Instead of writing a song that was all of a sudden more express. So... It was a give and take. I felt like I'm making a living. It wasn't a great living, but I was making it. Now it's more difficult. I have, you know, I have a daughter and a baby boy and a wife. So it's not just me in an apartment. I'm making a living. I can buy amp and a guitar because I'm playing 40 dates a month. It wasn't, it's not that now. And all of a sudden, my name kind of, thank God, grew a little bit. And I was able to tour more and people paid me more. So all of a sudden, I called myself Greg on tour, not playing as much. Which I was farther away, so to your question, yes, if I could stay closer and support myself and be close to my daughter and my son putting them to bed, it would be sweet. But then you come to the question of, like, you're right. You've been taken for granted. People don't come to see you because you know they're there every Tuesday or whatever. And it becomes a problem. And I felt, too, to myself, after playing larger venues and people pay tickets to come to see me, I felt like the show got better. Yeah, of like, course. You know, absolutely. You know, you playing more. All of a sudden, I'm warming up before the set because I know I got 90 minutes now to be the best that I to best to me to give you the best show. I can't wait to the second set to do this one song. I'm gonna we're gonna narrow it down the set list to well, give you well, like. Is, isn't the that the best? though? No,
0: I, I I was talking yes. about this. I I was um I was having lunch with a bunch of uh, uh, older friends of my musician guys we're kind of shooting the breeze and they, and they never really, I mean, one guy is, you know, a nationally known guy and, you know, used to tour all that kind of stuff, but then he kind of stepped back and just kind of gigged around town and, you know, until he finally retired. And now, you know, fortunately he doesn't have to have to work anymore. Uh, but what was interesting is, is that I I'm so spoiled. in the fact that because I play, I only play places where I can do like one set you know what I mean? I do my thing for an hour and a half and I'm done and I'm home and I'm out. And you realize that, you know, back in the old thing, when you're just kind of doing gigs all over the place, it's like, well, you start at nine, you go to one. Oh, hell no. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. This is great because this is how it's, I feel
1: like this is how it, you can express yourself so much more focused and so much more, you know you have to give it all you have because right. this is all you have you right. have 75 minutes with an encore 90 minutes or 2 hours with an encore whatever right. but it needs to be focused you cannot take a little time off to chill unless it's part of the show you know right. i feel it's a great thing it's uh i feel it's a great uh it's just better for everyone involved you know? right. it's all about the music for you for us the the musicians the singers and it's and it's all about it's for the audience because you give them all you have for that time. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. So it's like, yeah, I agree with you completely. So there's something to say. Having said that, you know, about the time that I used to play more locally and playing at clubs, and it probably made me a a better player, a better musician. I learned probably a lot of things. Oh, no doubt. You know,
0: absolutely, I agree. That
1: yeah. uh, so it served its purpose, even though it led to certain frustration, and I did feel like. You know, working like this for a few years of forty dates every month wore me, and I had to take a little time to do less of. And thankfully, things worked out, which I was compensated better to play more shows during that time than I wanted to right. to lay back. So, and it helped me again. This helped me too. So I took the knowledge from playing a lot of smaller venues and bars and locally. All of a sudden, uh, I was asked to play larger venues. Which, between us, I kind of came here to, we talked about it, you and I one time, to play larger venues. That's how I, like, when I started playing, we talked about those bigger names, you know, Clapton, uh, Elton John, Stink, Dire Straits, people that I knew before I do, dove into B.B. King or Albert King. And to me, I did not even know that you could play smaller venues and, and exist. I didn't know that the music being played in smaller venues. I thought you had to fill a hall. A hall of certain extent, you know, the Royal Albert Hall, Carnegie Hall, a stadium, Wembley. I know it sounds crazy, crazy because it's kind of hard to fill Wembley Stadium, I believe. Right, you know, but, a little uh, bit, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. But to me, you know, as a kid, I grew up in a in a, like in a country town with seventy families. This is what you saw on TV. So I thought that to be a musician, that's unless it it's an orchestra, then that's what you need to do. So in my mind, I wanted that which to, to the truth now that I feel like my music is getting more focused and doors more open to a certain extent and the shows became like you said you're playing 90 minutes you're playing a show it became more of that of playing a show not just uh warming up at a venue because you know you have three sets of an hour and a half to play right oh which God. is uh it's a lot to ask of a musician to it, it's it's almost not uh physical it's And the musicians play great for that long. But it's not the same for, we both know, because we did that and we're doing other, it's not the same focus level. It's not the same bringing it, start to
0: finish, execution. You you just can't, you know? Right. Well, I, I remember for me, it was like, you know, especially back in those days. I mean, I was partying a lot. So part of it, part of it was, <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, we're going to play at so-and-so. Well, good. You know, by the end of the night, I'm just like, ah, you know, and, and you found yourself, you know, you were kind of like, uh, I used to refer to, we're, we're, animated party favors. We get to play what we want, but we're riling people up, they're drinking, they're showing up because they want to party with us. The bar owner loves us because we're bringing all these people, people in drinking, drinking. And all that other kind of stuff, but then when I gave up drinking, I'd go into these places like, "What the hell am I doing in this place?" That's <laughs> so what I'm talking
1: about. I, I hear you. I hear you. That's how I felt, even even as a mem- as a young musician, as a member of Willie Ken and the Gents. People are like, "Wow, getting rowdy and drinking." And I was like, "Man, band just messed up a, cor- a chord." And I would be really tough on things, you know, right. being so young because. I stayed so to me it was always about the music. Even when there was so short period that I did drink, it was only about the music. And I'm like, man, that's not cool. That we are here too, like you said, to kind of, I felt like the music should be deeper than this. It should have more attention than this. Or enjoy like if I play music to listen to, even as a kid, I paid attention to it, you know. So it doesn't have to be live music. To me, if like if you don't pay it the attention and the respect it deserve. Just put something on that you don't even like on a jukebox because what's the point really? But that's how I view music. To me, it's kind of, a, you know, it's Absolutely. so much emotion in it. Since, since a child, it brought me so much emotion and ideas. Just hearing something, you like all these feelings just by closing your eyes and listening to music that it stayed with me to the point that I play and I kind of try to evoke to make that happen. Even when I lay one note on the on the instrument, I try to, I remember those feelings as a child. They still here. You can see, you can hear it when I talk about it. I think so. I I try to make this happen. Even with, you know, it's not it's not a matter of complexity. You know that. I know that. It's a matter of that's. It could be a great complex line, or it could be the simplest slide, or the way you hit that note, which was as gorgeous and as full of feeling right? for you to, to express yourself, you know? So I get it. Uh, I get it. Yeah. And I dig it. Yeah. So that, you know, i just, I want to play to the people. I want to record more. I feel I have more things to say as far as context, lyrics and, uh, and music melodies. So I, I would like to record more. Um, And I have some nice thoughts that I would like to share musical thoughts, you know, or, or, or lyrical ideas and uh and perform and you know to hopefully to keep growing and uh with things happening in the life you know i'm a, being a husband and a father those things uh bring a lot of uh joy and challenges and learning experiences that are affecting my music naturally because you know it comes through when i sing or play so i understand
0: yeah. I understand. Wait till they get old enough and all of a sudden you have one in your band. That's, that's where it gets really wild. <laughs> How is it? How is it? It's probably gorgeous. It's, it's probably beautiful. It's, huh? it's a blast. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, I mean, musically, what's, what's really bizarre about it is, is that, you know, I, mean, I never foisted anything upon him. You know, he would kind of listen to whatever he wanted to listen to. Uh, and when we were playing certain things, I would suggest things, but I was—I wasn't like you got to do this and you got to listen to that. He just kind of came all to it on his own. Okay. I guess the the, the time where I knew that it was it was only an, a, a matter of time before he played in the band is that I was playing at this local festival and I had my trio. And he was like 16 and he, and he, and he stopped by with his, with his reprobate friends, bless him. And they, they were down (laughs) at this thing and and, and my, and my drummer at the time had, had taught Dylan some lessons as a matter of fact. And I said to him of the drummer, I go, Hey, Del, do you mind if Dylan sits in, this is a hometown crowd. And he's like, sure, no problem. So Dylan sits behind the drums and I say, uh, well, what do you want to do? He goes, let's do that band of gypsies song. Uh, Message to Love, which is not an easy song to play, right? Uh huh. Goodbye, and, bye. And we had never played it together, but he'd seen our band do it, and it's certainly he'd listened to the records And I counted it off, and there's there's actually there's actually a, a video of it on YouTube. He nailed it, you know. What I mean? Of that one night, there's yeah. a video of that first night that, that, that you did. Fir- first night where he sat in, and he played that song, and I turned around like, "Holy shit!" I, you know, and I, I just knew that was only wow. a matter of time, and. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's, it's always fun, but there's so much telepathy stuff that happens, which happens to musicians who are, have a great connection anyway. But there seems to be this extra dose of familial kind of, you know, telepathy that goes on where I'll do a different syncopation and he'll do it at the exact same time without any kind of prior telegraphing, you know what I mean? I'd be like, you know, at this exact same time, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's bizarre. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Although I do say that when we're on the road, you know, there are things that as a parent I'm horrified by, but as a band member, I'm like, you know, kind of impressed. <laughs> But nothing, <laughs> nothing too untoward. But, uh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you?
1: What do you? A question for you? Does he have the same? I'm curious because mines are so little. My daughter is four and a half. The baby is five months old. Right? How, does he dig the same music as you, or there's something that's really different because he's
0: younger? So he has this whole different area of stuff that you don't know or don't care about musically. Uh, I'm talking. Uh, about. It's a little bit of both. So, uh, but he he listens to, a, you know, he's definitely listened to a, a huge ton of the stuff I I listen to. You know, he he gravitates. You know, he um, you know, early on it was all you know the Who and Led Zeppelin and Allman Brothers and, but then he got into. You know, he was always playing jazz at school and he got into this jazz conservatory thing. And, and so he gravitated to some of the uh, different jazz drummers, but, you know, he loves like Steve Gadd and uh, Bernard Purdy and these types of guys. So he kind of did the deep dive in, into that area of things, but I was listening to that stuff anyway. Um, but at some point he got into like, you know, um, you know, electronica and started listening to, you know, dubstep as it was called at the time. Um, and then he, and then, and now he likes to listen to like mono neon and, and, um, and all this different type of stuff. That's, you know, it's just in my wheelhouse anyways, just that I just don't listen. You know, I don't listen to, uh, a whole lot of that stuff just because I, I mostly listen to dead people. If we're It's fun. Don't you think it's funny, man? I had this talk with my wife
1: yesterday and I was like a little frustrated by certain things of the industry, not the industry. I almost thought about music, modern music, I'm like, why would they, because like, I was asked to do a tune, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to be, uh, politi- not politically correct, but kind of not say everything, I was asked to do a tune, okay, to sing a tune, how would that be, and I'm like, well, it's okay, what about this tune, and they were like, I'm like, and I asked my wife, I said, isn't this a way better tune, she said, yes, but it's more in your will, I said, no, it's not, it's kind of like, if I saw me do that, I'd be like, Wow, Guy King is doing that thing. He said, it's more complex. There's more stuff. And I said, but it's better. And she goes, yeah, but people, they usually like, like simpler, way simpler. I'm like, but it's simpler and flat. I like simple. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I listen to Aretha sings Chain, Chain, Chain. It's still a one chord song, you know, and I'm like, well, right, that's happening. But it's almost simpler emotionally, too, almost like dramatical, like mo- what's modern. If it has like, if there's a certain, that's easy to imagine. Right. You understand what I'm saying? In yeah, a way yeah. that to me, I have to be honest with you, it never appealed to me even when I was three or four. If I told you the thing, and I told my wife, I said, wait a minute, that song was out when I was four. And I loved it. She was like, well, that's not very common. You know, it came out in 1981. I'm like, I was like, I loved it. She was like, it's not common. And she said, and today, and she's more, you know, she's a singer, my wife. And she she is, uh, she knows more modern music than I do. More of what's on, you know, the top 40 and stuff. So, which is good to me, because I'm exposed to that through her too. It's sure. great, you know, and our little daughter. So, but I was like, I had this thought. Maybe you can tell me your opinion. Like, it feels like some of the stuff that's liked is not, that's great. Which I know was always the sense in popular music, especially after Duke Ellington or Beatles era. It started getting more and more to the, you know, the music is not that great. The music that's top forty is getting less and less. Uh, should we say emotional
0: or evokes emotion? Why is that? Just me? Or no, you I, feel I, the same. I agree with you. I think you know there are some. Things that maybe do not fit into that paradigm, you know, that come out that have a little bit of more of an emotion. But I, I, I just, I agree,
1: think, I agree with you. So not, not
0: all, not all. There are great things, you know, and I, but, I agree but the with vast you. Majority, I was, I will agree with you. And I, I, I think it's just because uh, the commodification, you know. I mean, we live in a, it's a consumer society, and you know, there was an aspect of music, especially in the late '60s and in in, um, in '70s, where uh you could be unattractive <laughs> and make music and and be successful now I, I think that it, it's it's gotten to the point where um that's much less likely to happen you you have to be um uh, you know project a physical image that is is marketable in a way that is absolutely lowest common denominator there's no like oh I wonder if this will take off you know what I mean I I think there's still the exception that creeps through. You know, I can't really, you know, cite any examples off the top of my head, but I think um, the vast majority of it has been so the idea of something or an unlikely person from an unlikely place would rise uh, to international prominence because of their songwriting and ability to be outstanding. You know, I, I think, you know, all you really need to do is be good enough. And then the rest of it is all the, the pageantry and the packaging. Uh, and there are exceptions that come through where something that's really exceptional does get past the goalpost. But usually that's an accident. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hear you. Or sorry to be so. Or you're
0: right. Or maybe this was a part of this larger
1: promotional scheme too, to bring something different and to make it because it's different. It feels to me like that.
0: Is well. you know, right? Like I, they doing it. I, and and part of it, I think, is just you know, I mean, and not really in a, a you know conspiratorial type of way, but I just think you know, the less the less that you get the population to think about anything more important than. Their stomachs, their groins, and their eyes. Then, you know, the more likely, the more likely you'll get exposure. <laughs> That's funny, man. I tell you why it's funny. Because
1: everything that caused me to get into music was the exact opposite of that. Even as a youngster at three, something felt wow, like almost mystical in the most beautiful way—not in a strange way. Like no, I, there's I'm feeling with you. Here that you there's a feeling and almost a being that you can't see. What is it? You know, but that's what made me want to play. That's what I feel like I still do today, trying to get that note out with my voice, so with the melody or with the guitar. You know, because that to me is where the ah,
0: that beautiful magic happens. You know, well, here's the, the thing I thought uh, Here's what a thing I thought about to, to your exact point. I mean, I remember just from being the youngest kid, certain music that I would listen to would get me so emotionally excited. You know what I mean? I would listen to it and it would bring this feeling. And I would be like, man, if only I could create something that makes me feel like that and I could make other people feel like that, that would be great. But at some point I realized the things that make me feel like that from this music, other people aren't hearing, you know what I mean? They're not, they don't have the same response to it. Maybe, you know, they're, they're reacting to something else. But the point is that there are, there are other people that do respond to it in the same way, and those are the people you want to reach. You know what I mean? It's like you're, you're, you're never going to reach those people who do not consume music that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And or hard, you will, but thing. not for the same
1: reason. It is hard exactly. to digest. You're right. But those people, too, if the mu- I think if your music is good, you know, then they will hear. It's funny when they hear you, for example, I know that they may not love the thing that you love about your music, but they may like something different that to you is like very natural that you don't pay that much attention.
0: Sure. To. Exactly. exactly. So
1: there's that too in music and you're right. It is a hard pill to swallow a little bit. Could be a little disappointing too, but what can you do? People like different things. i I'm just accepting it now in the last few years. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I thought everybody liked this one thing cause it's so great that how can you not then I realized that wait
0: a minute, maybe not. You know, right? Well, you know what's interesting maybe is not. I, I think about uh, you know I'm a huge Rolling Stones fan, right? And I've always loved the Stones, and you know, and 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 it's it's like it, of course they're a garage band. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. There, it's but when they play together. There's a pocket and a groove that happens. And, and, and I've had people that, you know, that I knew that worked with them or were like recording engineers that would talk about, you know, there's that thing that happened when they're working on a song, like a new song. Sometimes it just sounds like the worst kind of garage band, like what is going on? And all of a sudden the parts start to get suddenly used to say when Bill Wyman was in the band, the bass neck would be down like this, but as they were working on a song, you know, the more that they played it, the bass neck would go up like this, and that's when the <laughs> shit was happening. You know what I mean? <laughs> all of a sudden, the stuff would just gel, and it would, and it would be this thing. And you know, and it's just, you know, that kind of uh, the magic of the ensemble of n- all yes. these individuals not being that great, but c- together. When they're firing all cylinders, it becomes this, this thing that is undeniable. And yes. And then, of course, yes. you know, you wonder, you know, how much of it is like group hypnosis? You know what I mean? It's like we, we've known about bands like the Stones or these, these legacy iconic artists. And, and you wonder, like, if you would take like a certain song that was a hit of theirs completely out of context. And, and just listen to it, like from a different place, not knowing that it was the stones or whoever, and listen to it. You might think, what is this shit? You know what I mean? But, but because it's coming at it from the legacy and you've put it all together, it's like you, you contextualize it in a different way. You consume it in a different way. And that's, it could be. it's 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 bizarre stuff, man. <laughs> you can't check it. The thing is, you
1: can't say you can't test it objectively. You can't. The
0: test can't be
1: done. I mean, you can take it somewhere to a to a place where nobody heard that stuff, you know, and right, see with right, them right, what right. type of. I think it's partially what you say that they put it all together, and it's part of your being. But I also think that there's a when it comes to certain. Uh, certain popular music like that they, they put some together that worked it's almost like you know there is a formula to making music we both know it to make in right. a pocket not right. everything's going to sound great i don't care what somebody says there is a there is a quality here it's not all a matter of uh, opinion you right. know what i'm saying right so Absolutely. certain things need to lock while others don't have to lock there is some there's definitely knowledge here so i think you know uh Having said that, that knowledge is not rocket science. That's what I keep saying about music. You know, it's not rocket science; it's a feeling science. So you can stumble on it, almost as a beginner. You know, very close to being a beginner musician, you can figure out certain things that sometimes very advanced musicians do not figure out. Right. You know? So it's a tricky thing, man. This whole thing—you can talk about it for days, I feel. You know, and still reach nowhere. But there—it's definitely some, some great. You know. Like he said about when the group works something out and every all the the sum of all the things come together, you're
0: creating something from nothing. You know, it's gorgeous. It's it's great. It's a great feeling. Yeah, that and that's always the thing. It's like you know. I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, different lineups of my band over the year, years have this magical connection thing. There's been various different lineups that I had. and and you know, a lot of people if they're lucky they get one. You know what I mean? Right? And right. and uh, I'm very lucky that the current one I think is is probably the the uh the most refined version of all of the things that I do because I've got this this organ player who you know, he, you know, even though he's not my son, you know, we have this connection where things just bounce around and and just instinctively happen that are like perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. Um, and and it's it's like one of those things when that happens, you know, you almost don't care if anybody listens or not because you're so happy doing it. It's like as soon as we get together, as soon as shit is plugged in, We're creating new stuff. You know what I mean? It's like all of a sudden he'll start grooving on something. Dylan pops in and I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I'll just, it's like, it just immediately happens. And um, you know, what's interesting is that from the first moment that we played, it's like the first two tunes that we ever played were the first two tunes on our record. Literally the first moments we ever played together, we captured on tape because we were in a studio and we jammed for the first time. And then all of a sudden you start squeezing it a little bit. Well, what if we did this, you know? And then it's like it's like, it's like the more you squeeze something, the less it feels good. I mean, as I get older, it's like I always thought, well, the things have got to be arranged and I got to have this, this part's got to be this. And maybe we should have this unison line here and all this kind of stuff. And and I always had to have bands that had really good retention because it wasn't like something you could just pull out of your ass. They, they would have to know all this stuff. But then I, as I get older and as I get more, I, in my mind, refining more of what I'm doing, it's like, no, it doesn't have to be those things. It's just the pocket and and the spontaneity and the honesty and just the, you know, the the abandon is really what what makes it all happen. But uh, it's, it's a fascinating yeah. thing.
1: It is. And you're right. And I, I'm fortunate enough to tell you that in the current context of the band, too, which is like the rhythm section for the album and the horn section, those are the regular members of the band. Excellent. And the, now, like the rhythm section, too, we we got together for the album release show. You know, it was in a the theater here, the Skokie Theater. And I'm like, I want to sing that song with my wife. And I thought about Carol King, You Got a Friend, that I love. That's a beautiful song, you know. And I, for them, like, let's play it, you know. I haven't played in a long time. They didn't know. I said, You know it. Come on, let's play. I counted off. Greg, the sound of the band was there in the first one. And I'm like, well, and I laughed and said, what's wrong? I said, it sounds like our record. Yeah. Like everything, like together, like it didn't sound like the original song anymore. It sounded like, wow, we should just record it because it sounded great and it sounded like the group. And when I told you about recording here on analog, it's capturing this. It's getting a little simpler. You know, I love arrangements, but I want to capture that. I want to right. capture that bass drum. But keep. That's what I told you. Right. Capture it straight on tape to a physical oxid like a tape. Right. You know. Yeah. And like I think it'll be great, and we can work the arrangement. I told him, if we made a bad take, let's just have a coffee break and take a whole take and capture it straight to tape. Exactly. I don't want to punch you. Man. Right. Let's do it because we have fun because we smile while we play because we feel we trust each other. And it's like it's a, it's a special feeling, and I I hear what you're saying. I feel the same, you know. It's a so, and I was fortunate too. I always had wonderful musicians, so I'm like knocking on wood here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But there's there's something special going on now at the moment where I feel we're kind of on the same wave, and you don't have to you don't have to explain or think too much, which is great because the raw emotion comes out more, which right. makes me want to play and sing more, you know, and write. So exactly. it kind of I understand what you're saying exactly, man. About the two about doesn't have to be all that range. It's okay to let a field get a few bars with nothing. It's gorgeous. Right. There's a punch. There's a groove going
0: on. You right. know? Exactly. Exactly. You know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, listen, <laughs> my friend, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. It was fantastic. Always great hanging with you, my friend.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Love you. Love what you play. And I hope that we can get together and uh, eat together and hang
0: together and play together more often. I would love it my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, everybody Greg, go thank check you. out check out guys new record. It's fantastic. It's called Joy is Coming. And uh, joy will be manifest when you when you put the needle down on that vinyl as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right, my friend. You thanks. take it easy. We'll talk soon. You as well. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to Chewing the Gristle. We certainly do appreciate it. On behalf of Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, and our friends at Fishman Transducers, we say, don't be a stranger now. Keep on coming back. We're going to keep on giving her.